foreseeability. When uh, Thomas, when I got my DUI, Thomas uh, said something along the lines that he saw it coming or he could have foreseen it or he, it was foreseeable that I was going to end up getting a DUI. And the weird thing is he was kind of the one who pushed me into getting a DUI. So if it was so foreseeable, why did he push me into that corner? And if it's foreseeable, then a person cornered like that would be seeking to toggle some uh, levers of authority that make it foreseeable that other people wouldn't be pushed into corners like that. So, let him use his foreseeability, foresight, to show us how he is a, an authority on brain chemistry and balance, because he has been asserting his authority on that. And it's foreseeable that he is not going to be able to show it, because he isn't an authority on brain chemistry and balance. He's also not an authority on the 12 steps because he's been operating outside of the parameters of the 12 steps since uh, early on when I, 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 he asked me why certain things, I was doing certain things like, well, I wanted to use Pastor Jesse because Pastor Jesse was my sponsor. He see, Thomas seemed to think that he was my sponsor. I never signed up to have Thomas become my sponsor. That's something Thomas got in his head that he was going to sponsor me, be my sponsor, or something to that effect. So, it's foreseeable that that would go pear-shaped as well. So, let's, let's just talk about foresight, foreseeability. I think in the law, what I hear is a lot of uh, bullshit about foreseeability, you know. It's uh, like, well, it was foreseeable that, uh, you know, uh, I've heard people say it was foreseeable that the Berlin Wall would come down. Well, no, it wasn't. And it was. it's foreseeable that, uh, so here's the one, like, okay, so you shoot a bullet in the air, right? Why do you do that? I mean, cops used to do that as a warning uh, to burglars or somebody running away that that was called a warning shot. So for a long time, that was for, that was acceptable that you would shoot a bullet into the air and, and until somebody realized it was foreseeable that the bullet comes down and can kill somebody. So you end up killing another person in order to stop somebody, like a nonviolent burglar. So then it, all of a sudden it was now foreseeable that shooting a bullet in the air isn't acceptable, so they stopped doing it. So was it foreseeable all those times that cops shot bullets in the air as warning shots? Because uh, as far as I know, my brother uh, got caught, my brother Patrick got caught hanging out with guys that were burglarizing homes in Belmont, California. And uh, one of them got arrested uh, in exactly that manner that uh, the cop shot a bullet in the air as a warning shot. 
So the standards of foreseeability are obviously changing if cops are no longer shooting bullets in the air. Because the foreseeability come, becomes something like, oh, yeah, shit, bullets go up, bullets come down, bullets kill people that didn't have nothing to do with whatever it was. So you can't do that anymore. And so now it's foreseeable not to do that or foreseeable that there are consequences to doing that. Okay, so for a while, the foreseeability well, it was there. It's just that people were ignoring the foreseeability. It's foreseeable that if you step into a car when you're drunk, uh, you're taking you're not only your own life in the, into your own hands, it's other people's lives. And, uh, you know, America as a culture would look the other way. And then we stopped looking the other way. So now all of a sudden it's foreseeable that if you step into a car or I think it's now it's like if you think about stepping into a car when you're drunk. I mean, if you have car keys in your pocket when you're near your own car, you can get a DUI. I don't really know where it stops anymore. I mean, it's getting kind of ridiculous. And the only reason it's getting ridiculous is because people don't want to get caught drunk driving and they don't want to even, you know, they want to. What is it people want when they're thinking about going home and they're drunk? <laughs> yeah, see, that's where you get stupid. So you have to kind of start talking about, okay, uh, well, yes, I am drinking and I'm going to get past that legal limit. And so here's my car keys in, in a, you know, this is foreseeable that I'm going to be making decisions when I'm drunk. So here's my car keys. I'm giving it to somebody who isn't drunk or something like that. I mean... These are things that need to be set up by the precariat class, okay? Because precariat class, when you get a DUI, that's huge. It's, it's a huge bump. Now, if you're wealthy, you get a DUI, it's not nearly as big. However, you could lose your driving privilege. And that's a kind of a big thing no matter who you are. But people who are wealthy can throw money at those problems. People who are, right? I mean, if you're ultra-wealthy... You just hire somebody to drive you around, okay? So that's 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 so far outside of the precariat class that you're not even you're not even you know that you're super wealthy. There are wealthier people who live in nice houses and uh, and you know eat good food and have fun with their lives and uh, have plenty of money to throw at problems like health and uh, and have wonderful vacations and things like that. That's the wealthy, okay? The super wealthy are the ones who hire someone else to drive them, okay, on a permanent basis. That's just a different level of wealth. Okay, well, I guess that goes to the def definition of terms, and since I like the, the precariat, we would, I would probably work backwards off of the precariat class and start assigning terms according to the, to that so that you end up with the bourgeois and all that other bullshit that originally came from uh, communism, which is another set of bullshit. So, yeah, so there's bullshit wealth and then there's bullshit bullshit wealth. <laughs> How do you define it? <laughs> All right, well, foresight. Okay, well, foresight. I don't, I don't know. 
I don't know where this is going to lead. I don't have the foresight to see where this particular subject leads us. So it's ironic in its lack of foresight to have a topic called foresight. So we'll just let it go down. I mean, it's a, it's a pathway. It's, a, it's not like I'm the first person to think along these lines. So let's just look down and find the footsteps and follow where those go and see what, what they did. And uh, if the pathway leads over a cliff, let us not jump off of that cliff, right? You have to use a little bit of... Uh, of inductive reasoning to figure out what the pathway is down the cliff. That brings to mind uh, a historical, um, in history, there was some kind of a siege of a city, and uh, it was up against, I think it was the city of Petra, and it was like uh, some some army was sieging a city, and, and the backside of the city was just a sheer rock cliff, okay, hundreds of feet, so it was only, you know, one or two guys at night looking at the, you know, the, the backside, you know, guarding it, that's about it, that's all it took, and one day, they, uh, one of the guards at the gate looked over, and his, the top of his helmet came off, and fell all the way down, hundreds of feet down the rocky cliff, and so the guys at the bottom were watching him, and... The soldier apparently gets in trouble if he comes back off of duty with his without his helmet. So what he did is he, he risked his life and he came down a little pathway off of the cliff, the face of the cliff, and retrieved his helmet and went back up. And so now the the army that that was uh, sieging that castle knew that there was a pathway back all the way up that uh, the backside of that cliff so they used it and they took over that city and I can't remember the name of the city it'd be, it'd be a great it's a, it's a good story in history and right now it leads us to the you know this is where the the steps go over the cliff and you want to know what the pathway is down that cliff and back up and you don't we necessarily want everybody else to know what the pathway is if it's a dangerous cliff and dangerous things happening because we live in a dangerous world. Okay? So we don't want to use people using our own foresight and pathways against us. Um, okay, yeah. There's, there's analogies to work with here. Christ had this uh, one episode where the woman who was caught in adultery was brought to him, and he was so fair in that incident that every single person who had picked up a rock to, to kill that woman to implement the... Um, prescribed uh, sentencing 
of stoning the woman to death, every single man dropped the stone and left. At the end, it was just him and her, and he said, uh, well, hey, they're all gone. Well, what the hell? I, don't they condemn you? And she said, or, you know, where are they? Well, they're all gone. Uh, well, since they don't condemn you, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Now, there's a lot of things about that particular thing that, that people don't seem to notice, and I think I have. It's the weirdest thing that I notice it. But anyways, uh, one of the things is a lot of people complain about this fierce God who's so terrible that they cannot submit to him because he's just horrible and unfair. And I keep bringing up all kinds of things. What about this? What about that? You know, these people are going to go to hell because... Because they, you know, they killed an insect bug or some other kind of thing, right? We have all kinds of things to question the fairness of God. So this incident shows you how fair, so fair God is. He's so fair that it's just remarkable. So God isn't going to just... um be fair, but he's going to be so fair that everybody thinks, well, it's just amazing how how much he took in all the information and um, and still upheld the law and engaged tremendous mercy and used it used that incident as a way to show his mercy and fairness. And it, when the woman was brought, he said, "Well, let the person who doesn't have sin let him cast the first stone." And then slowly, everybody starts dropping their stones. Right? Well, it turns out there was somebody there who had not cast a, had not uh, sinned, and that was Jesus. And he did not cast that first stone. What he did do is he took in all the information, and uh, at the end, it was kind of like he used that information to. Pass it his, well, you could call it a judgment, right? It's a pretty fair judgment. Um, and it was a, it's a great example of how fair God is. He's very, very, very fair. More fair than I could ever be, any of us could ever be. So I like to sometimes use that analogy, like, well, he's so fair, and he was the one who could have thrown that first stone. What if you were brought in front of him, or what if uh, you brought, you know, what if they brought the person that uh, he, that the woman had committed adultery with, if they brought both of them, right? I mean, where the heck was that guy? It was, a, it was an obvious setup. And why don't they, you know, why aren't they stoning him? I mean, that was pretty unfair. <laughs> Just the whole setup was unfair. And he brought, he pulled fairness out of unfairness. So what if they brought uh, you? And, you know, they will bring you in front of the entire Sanhedrin of heaven. Okay. And the person with the authority in the Sanhedrin of heaven is going to be Jesus, and he's going to command you by the authority of the Sanhedrin of heaven, and declare who you are. He's going to, okay, and so that's what Jesus was saying when he was put to death, was, hey, you have the authority here, 
to do what you're doing. But there will come a time when you'll see me coming on the clouds of heaven, okay? And I'm going to be the one with the authority judging you. How uncomfortable is that going to be for those Sanhedrin dudes when they get judged? Not very comfortable. So uncomfortable that they, uh, you know, (coughs) they were saying it was blasphemy for them. You know, because it was... Yeah, that was turning the tables on them. But it was, in their minds, you know, they're thinking, this guy is such an asshole. Uh, He's committing blasphemy right in front of the Sanhedrin. I mean, the highest court in the land. It's just that's how, how far out he is. He's so evil that he's doing this out in the open in front of us, right? He's committing blasphemy. But if they really did understand and know that he was God himself, then it's not blasphemy. And then they're kind of going to realize and go, oh, shit, we had it wrong. <laughs> right? Get all those guys from the Sanhedrin. It's going to be an interesting time in heaven. And they're all going to, you know, oh, you brought him to trial under unfair circumstances, you asshole. And so now, guess what? You are on trial, <laughs> and you're the ones that had passed sentence on him. Guess what? Yeah, it's gonna the tables turned. We're gonna pass sentence on you, and it's not only gonna be fun and interesting and all that, but it'll be very fair. Okay, I mean, their weird defense will be something to the effect that, well, he was gonna die anyway, <laughs> he's God, and he committed this this claim, and there was no proof of the claim when he committed that under those terribly unfair conditions. (laughs) So, you know, what a strange uh, defense they're going to come up with in heaven. He was God anyway, so, you know, what's your problem? He was going to (laughs) die. Okay. Uh, I know it's it's, uh, harsh and uh, uh, it, they won't get away with it, but it'll be an interesting thing to watch. What if they bring uh, Judas to trial? Right? Well, Judas, you're the one that betrayed him. He already said it's better for you than ever to have been born. Uh, well, and we're giving you a hearing, you know, as fair as you could possibly be. We've all seen how fair he is with everyone else, and we're going to be fair with you. And here's what I think is going to happen, because, you know, God is real, and that really did happen to Jesus. That's, you know, and that hurt deeply. I think Jesus is going to be, you know, he loved Judas, and he's just going to be so upset. He's just like, all right, well, this time... You know, all you guys are ready to pick up stones and and stone this adulterous woman betrayer person, Judas. He's not a woman. He's just. But you know, you're all upset. Well, the thing is, you guys weren't the ones betrayed. I was, and I am more upset than you. And I don't want to pick up a stone to stone him. I just want to turn my face and leave 
So you guys go ahead and you make your decision. But I'm not going to say, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. I was without sin. And I choose not to cast the first stone. But I just can't deal with this. Uh, it hurts too much. And I am not going to say, don't cast that first stone, because I am the one who has that position, and I am leaving. And I just, I'm too upset. And I, and I, when I'm this upset, because of, because everybody can see, everybody knows he betrayed me, he knows it, that I can't. I just can't deal with this. It's too much pain. So I'm going to be over here, uh, you know, hanging out with those children because they're, they're fun and they, they like me and they don't, they didn't betray me. So that's where I'm going. But I want you guys to stick around and pass whatever judgment there is because there's obviously some judgment to be passed here, but I, I got to go. And when you're Judas, you already see, you know this is coming, and you know that, that you, you're condemned to eternal damnation. And there it is. That's the beginning of the damnation, is, is Jesus turning his back on you, even though he knows he loves you, you betrayed him. And he's going to get to the point where he can't hear your voice. He doesn't want to be around you. He doesn't want to see what happened to you. He, he, he probably doesn't even want to hear what what happened. He's probably not even going to just like come back a thousand years later and say, what happened? People know he's in so much pain that he, he probably doesn't even want to know. And he's going to ask you, uh, you know, how's your sister? You know, how's that? How's that? It's on her forehead. Is it healing? <laughs> okay. Whatever. He's not going to ask about that. And people are going to see it. And me, as a follower of Christ, you know, I, he, he, he told me, he's telling me, hey, I'm not telling you not to drop that stone. You expressed whatever fairness you have towards Judas that there is. But, you know, I'm in too much pain. And and I think hell, uh, to get a glimpse of hell there, is that everybody is going to turn their back and they're going to say, you're not welcome here. And you might want to find some place where you are welcome. And over there, there's a bunch of assholes that um, that think you're like a hero or something or whatever. Okay, but it's just a horrible place. You know it's a horrible place, but that's the only place that you're going to find people that aren't going to turn their back on you forever. So. We're not even going to ask you to go there. We just we just don't want you around here, and we don't. We're going to have fun and partying and all kinds of you know. It's going to be a fun place to be until you walk into the room.
Then all the fun stops. And nobody wants to talk to you. And they find their rock, they pick it up, they look at you, and they turn their back and they leave the room. Everywhere you go, Judas. That's that's my vision of what's going to happen to Judas. My my vision is, you know, that the world records every single molecule in the world records everything. Every single thing that's done in the darkness is going to be brought out to light. Everything. And it's, you know, a record player records everything. It records every little tiny little thing. And the camera never blinks. And uh, you can fake it, but the reality is eventually you can get to the real recording. Or the really thing that really did happen. And uh, and that's it. That's that's the universe speaking for itself, saying, this is what happened. Okay? And every single person carries around their own eyeball. And there's a recorder attached to that eyeball in your memory. And God's going to be able to access that, too. And every single, from every single person's perspective. And then when there's a trial, he can see from every single person's perspective, every single molecule's perspective. All right? So if there's some redeeming molecule in the universe that speaks up for, say, Judas, <laughs> and says, oh, well, you know, when he was a kid, his, his dad was really into politics. He was raised to be into politics and to do whatever it took to pull the political levers, to manipulate people into doing what, you know, the political ends that were needed. He's, he's a politics type of person. And he uplifted politics ahead of his relationship with God. He, yeah, he loved you. Of course he loved you, Jesus. But he he thought politics was more important than you. He thought his whatever his viewpoint of how the world should run is kind of a definition of politics. Politics is a, you know, a study of how things ought to be. <laughs> And so there's all these people who think their things ought to be the way they think it ought to be done. And Judas is just a prime example. One of those things ought to be run the way I think it ought to be run, not the way you think it ought to be run. Even though you are a better person than me, I think it still should be run the way I think it should be run. Okay. And I know there's some absurdity and ridiculousness to that whole thing, but that's how absurd and ridiculous the world is and uh, that situation was and some of these situations in the world are you know how absurd and ridiculous did it have to be for people to just kill millions and millions of jews in world war ii just wholesale slaughter of human beings it just doesn't make any sense to ordinary people because they upheld certain political viewpoints, and that was it. That was it made them look at other people like they were they were less than animals. Because when you slaughter animals, you slaughter them to eat for a reason. For you know, and it's a disgusting way to think about it. But there was a reason why you slaughtered that pig or that uh, that uh, cow. You, know, you ate it. Was there a reason why you slaughter a human being? Well, there was, yeah, there was reason. It wasn't good reason. 
it was Judas level idiocy, not idiocy, he wasn't an idiot, he was not stupid, he was just evil. The Judas level evilness to the reasoning behind it. So, yeah, God's going to be very fair. I like to uphold that uh, image of that the woman caught in adultery as example of fairness. That's the God that I like to talk about. Everybody wants to say, oh, what about this? What about that? It was whataboutism. What a bunch of bullshit. They should go, what about bullshitism? So they pull out the whataboutism and say, oh, about how the person never heard of Jesus and he's going to go to hell. And he's saying, yeah, you know what? I honestly don't think that person is going to go to hell because Jesus is going to pull up all these recordings from all all the molecules around that person for their entire life and see that person and how they lived. And there will be a few who were exemplary human beings, okay? And there are going to be people like me going, oh, I can't throw a rock at this person. I'm not going to turn my back on them in heaven for eternity. Okay? So... They may not be welcome at someone else's party, but, you know, they showed kindness to a friend of a friend of a friend of mine, you know, and so, uh, you know, they can come to my party. And uh, there will be a few parties in heaven that they're welcome to, and a few that they won't be welcome to. That's kind of the way things might be. And, and they will find a place in heaven. It won't be a very secure place or a very nice place. You know, it'll be a shed on a, on somebody else's, uh, you know, penthouse type of place. Okay. Humble place in, he in heaven rather than a exalted place in hell. Okay. Uh, much, much better. It'll be so fair that everybody will be happy. It'll be... People will come to visit your exalted place or your humble place, your shack in heaven, and say, well, you were really remarkably humble to the point where you, 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 you're in heaven. And other people will claim to be, you know, have a place in heaven because they thought they were so great or so awesome or whatever or so, you know, fair or whatever. And uh, all the molecules in the universe are that were fault looking at them or just recording what happened to them. Okay. You can't walk down a path without walking on something. And um, then the things in the path will speak up and say, oh, I was a bug on this person's path and he walked on me. Yeah, but you know, lots of people walk on bugs. <laughs> Jesus probably walked on a few bugs, right? So your voice will be right next to the 10 zillion other bugs that got walked on. And, and it'll be like, yeah, okay. We've heard that story before. Okay. But there will be a few bugs that will turn around and say, well, molecules in my thing is, he, you know, he claims to be so so good, this other person who's on trial right now and did never heard of Jesus but he set up an entire pathway of, of bugs that, where he pulled the, the wings off of every single bug that he walked on on that one pathway. And you'd kind of go, oh, that's kind of disgusting. That's horrible. You know, well, he didn't think anyone would ever see it. Oh, okay. That's something to take into account, right? 
And the, the whole world will take into account me when I was a child. I pulled wings off of butterflies, a few, enough so that I can't claim I didn't do it. Right? And my only claim to being in heaven is that I gave an assent to Jesus in my life. He's the authority in heaven, not me. And so how you ascent or descent with from Jesus is, is how you get in. How much you assented to Jesus and what crowns you threw at his feet here on earth is going to determine the level of uh, the uh, status in heaven. Um, but the whole point, the main point is whether or not you get in. And that's the biggest fairness factor is, is how you dealt with him. And uh, God's going to be extremely fair. There's going to be a lot of fairness. And uh, we're all going to be singing his praises of fairness in heaven. Uh, time and time and time again. Some little bug will cry out for justice. And people will hear that voice. And some little person who, who thought he was so great because nobody saw what was going on will claim that, uh, well, you know, I was... Uh, They'll claim that, that they deserve to be in heaven, but nobody deserves to be in heaven, I think is what we will eventually come to the conclusion and that uh, there, there might be some mercy extended to some people in heaven, but uh, for the most part, anyone who was ever confronted with the king of heaven and decided that uh, their own position was was better or they knew better than God how to run heaven or how to run things or they just decided that nobody was watching or nobody would ever be watching and so therefore that's it I can do whatever I want I I can understand coming to that conclusion when you think that the world is so drastically evil at any moment, you could just get, you know, eaten by a wolf or, or by a predator and or a human predator or something. And so, therefore, you become uh, one of them predators out in the world, the jungle of the world. Oh, I can understand how that would happen. And you think there's just no choice. So you're living like an animal. And the thing about animals is they have a soul but not a spirit. And so their spirit doesn't get affected by how horrible things get. And if they were raised as an animal in, say, the Garden of Eden, where they weren't surrounded by evil, then they wouldn't have turned out to be as evil as they were. It would have turned out to be, oh, I can just walk down this path without fear, without, you know, somebody just making my life miserable and uh, therefore I wouldn't have turned out to be miserable and I think everybody would see that too 
So it's likely to be gradations of misery. And there are even, there's hints of that in the Bible, that there's, there's gradual levels. Some, some people will be far more miserable in heaven than others. Because Jesus himself said about Judas, it's like better that he, him, for him to have never been born. Okay, that's how bad things are going to be for him in, in hell. And uh, some people will cry out for a drop of water from Lazarus's lips, okay? Because it's going to be that bad for them. And yet some people will be, there's, there's a real hint verse that it might not be so fun for people in heaven. I sh if I had pause, I would try to find that verse. For them, it's something like, for them, the last place will be worse, or the place, it'll be worse. I, I should just try to find it. I've got less than five minutes. I'm going to go to Google and try to find the verse that I'm talking about, which is uh, in the Bible, Google, Bible verse, Bible verse, and it's... Uh, uh, worse for them, for them, first, sixteen verses about worse, if indeed they escaped, but worse than they were before, Second Peter 2.20. Uh, they promise them freedom while they themselves are slaves to depravity, for a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. Verse 20, if indeed they have escaped the corruption of the world through their knowledge of the Lord, a Savior Jesus Christ, only to be entangled and overcome by it again, their final condition is worse than it was at first. I think it's talking about being in the world, not in heaven or hell. Uh, it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it, and then to turn away from the holy commandment passed on to them. Ooh, that is a rough passage that points to the possibility that you might lose your salvation. Um, so, first, second Peter two nineteen through twenty one. There, even in heaven, it might be worse. Than, than if you had never been known it. So, there's going to be gradations, most likely, in heaven and in hell. So, even if you're going to be in hell, it's better for you to try to be a better person. Here, it'll make things better for you once you were in hell. <laughs> um, and if you're in if you're here on the world and you're a believer like me and you just think things are shitty, it's better for me to just try to continue and persevere and make things better because maybe then things will be a little bit better in heaven. Okay? And uphold the fairness factor of Jesus and put up with why not be further wronged? Go ahead and be wronged here. Turn the other cheek, keep down here. And God hopefully will give us these rewards. And uh, God has promised a reward here on earth for those of us who have given up 
for families and fields for the father, for the for the kingdom. And that's a promise. It's right there in the New Testament. And I, I sure wish I could lay claim to that promise because I lose hope when I see that that promise hasn't come true in my life. Oh, God's going to be really fair. And I guess he'll be really fair about that. That promise, you know, and um, how he knows I want, I'm trying to cash in on that promise here on the world. Because that's what it says. And then maybe there's other people that are see the same thing. I don't know. So, there's most likely most people don't even know about those that verse or those kinds of verses because they didn't bother to wade through it all because they're so kind of tired of all the bullshit associated with Christianity. I never make it to that point. All right, just a few seconds left. Um, it's three in the morning, four in the morning.